All right, guys, feel free to take a seat. Welcome to Mountain View College Ministry. Such a gift to be here with you guys here tonight. My name's Adam, if I haven't met you before. I uh, used to volunteer a lot more in Mountain View College Ministry, but I'm the church planting resident here at the church full-time. And so what that means is, in May, Lord willing, myself, my wife, my kids, and some of y'all, likely, <laughs> will go to Denver to plant a new church, okay? That's the plan. And so, because of that, I had to step back from college ministry a little bit and prepare for that. And I'm excited about what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about work. In fact, the next three weeks we're going to talk about work. Why? I'm glad you asked. Maybe it's because like a third of your life is working, okay? Kind of important, kind of a big deal. They say you might do like 90,000 hours in your life will be spent working. And you know, I, don't know if you, I don't know if you noticed in your jobs, but people take, uh, people take different attitudes to work. They show up with different vibes, different takes, and that's driven because they have different beliefs about work. Okay, I'll never forget my first job. I was probably 23, 24, just out of college. I was working for PepsiCo. I was a sales manager at PepsiCo, and I had a buddy. And I'd go into the bathroom sometimes, and I'd notice that he was always in there at 9 a.m. You could tell by his shoes under the stall, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I was like, and one day I was like, yo, why, you're in there like a, a long time. Like, why are you in the bathroom every day at 9 a.m.? He's like, oh, dude, check this out. I go to the bathroom 10 minutes every day at work. That's 50 minutes a week. I work 48 weeks a year, take four weeks of vacation. That's like 2,400 minutes, divide that by 60, that's 40 hours. That's another week of vacation. <laughs> and I was like, weird, because it sounds like four weeks of vacation and one week is sitting on the pot. <laughs> so what a treat. I, I mean, like, look, here's my point. That, him doing that, demonstrates the take he has of work. It's kind of this, like, necessary evil perspective. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't love work, but I gotta be here, so let's just like minimize it as much as humanly possible, okay? My boy. On the other side of things is uh, world-famous billionaire Tony Stark inspiration, Elon Musk. And then, one day, a couple years ago, I'll never forget this, Elon Musk went on a tweet storm trying to hire for his companies. And what he said was, at the top here, there are way easier places to work, but nobody ever changed the world on 40 hours a week. And then when somebody asked him, yo, how many, how many hours to change the world? He's like, listen to this tweet. Varies per person, about 80 sustained, peaking above 100 at times, pain level increases exponentially above 80. Okay? <laughs> Elon. And he has changed the world pretty significantly, you might argue. Now you got one end, my boy, with the shoes under the stall in the bathroom. And you got the other end, Elon Musk. Work is everything. Work is the most important thing. All of my waking hours go to work. I mean, yo, when you're talking about 80, we're talking about 100 hours, that's like six, something like 16 hours every day. No breaks. That's, that's what we're talking about here. 80, not too far off, okay? On the one end, work is a necessary evil to be avoided. On the other end, work is the meaning of life. Why would you do anything other than try to get to Mars, okay? It's a big spectrum. And what I'm saying, what I'm, this is what I'm saying. What you believe about work is going to shape the way that you work. What I'm saying is that it's totally going to determine who you are at your job. And so my question for you is this. What, what do you believe about work? 
What do you think about it? What do you believe about work? Inherently good? Inherently bad? Is it God? Is it Satan? Is it something in between? Because what I'm saying is what you believe is going to shape who you are at your job. And look, we say work, but a lot of y'all in school right now taking classes, and you know, what you're doing is you're working in school to be able to work after school. So let's just say, let's just call it the same thing for a minute, okay? School, work, this is what we're doing. What do you believe about it? I think the Bible has some wonderful things to say about this, and this is where we're going to go, okay? We're going to talk through some of these passages in the Bible. If you got your Bibles, why don't you open to Genesis 1. We're going to be in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and I got, I got three things for you here. These are two of the most important chapters about work in, in my perspective. We're going to talk about God's purpose for work. We're going to talk about God's plan for work. And we're going to talk about God's place for work. God's purpose, plan, and place, as we see in Genesis 1 and 2. Here we go. First, we're going to start with Genesis 20 through 29, chapter 1. First chapter of the Bible. You open the Bible, and this is what y'all are seeing right now. I just keep that in mind as we read the first, uh, the first six verses here. This is what it says. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. and Let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And I got one. No, that's, that's where I want to stop. 20 through 25, Genesis 1. We're kind of dropping us in the middle of the creation narrative where God begins at the beginning. Where did everything come from? This is the beginning. And I don't know if you noticed, but there's some work going on. God is creating in the first chapter of Genesis. He's designing. He's making. He's bringing things into existence. In fact, the later verse will say that when he's done with this, he rested from his work. The Bible refers to what God is doing here as creation and work. God is working. But hang on, hang on. I don't, if some of y'all know your Bible, maybe some of y'all new to the Bible, so glad that you're here. It's not till a couple chapters later that everything goes wrong. Right now, right now, chapter one, everything's still good. You saw God say it. He created this and it was good. Created that and it was good. Everything is still perfect, and there's work. Everything is still perfect, and there's work. See what I'm saying? Work, according to the Bible, is inherently good, and God does it. The Creator does it. Work, according to the Bible, is inherently good, and God does it. It's awesome, and it glorifies him. What do I mean by glorify? I mean, it, it ascribes value to him. It demonstrates him. It shows how wonderful and amazing he is. His work glorifies him. This is the first purpose. We're talking about the, the Bible's purpose, God's purpose for work. The first thing, it's good, and it glorifies him. This is the first thing that we see. Second thing we see, look at what he says in verse 21. 
He says, uh, and God saw that it was good. Well, y'all, you might be like, well, didn't we just say that this was good? Yes, and it does affirm that. But this is the other thing that I think we get out of this. It's satisfying. God works, and it satisfies him. He makes something, and he's like, mm, that's good. And some of y'all I know have had this feeling before. And look, I know that a part of the way you experience work is that it sucks, okay? I know. We could all tell stories about how work sucks, all right? And we are going to address that because it really matters, and it's a big part of our experience. We're talking about it next week. But tonight, I want you to see the way that it's good. And what we see here with God, when he creates something, it satisfies him. He likes it. So, too, with us. We experience this when we finish a project, a class, a degree. When you walk across the, I was going to say the aisle, but that's something else. What do you walk across? Oh, marriage. When you walk across the stage, you experience satisfaction that it's done. Think about music. Some of the, I mean, look, it's satisfying to work sometimes. Just the work itself is satisfying and nice and fun. And it's also satisfying when it's done. And you look at it and you're like, oh, that's amazing. In fact, when I think about like music, Nick, actually, the worship director, uh, like four or five years ago, he showed me this, uh, this music video of a jazz group. And I was like a band kid growing up, hardcore band kid. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, this is, why I, this is why I preach from a music stand, always. There's a pulpit, <laughs> give me a music stand. But um, Nick showed me this amazing jazz video. And when, I, when I'm satisfied by something, I'm kind of like, oh, this is, this is nice. But if I get to like, cat five satisfied like super super satisfied the smile turns into this like grimace (laughs) where it's like something stinks but it's amazing and this jazz group i mean the drum solos the bass solos all the solos going but it's like an eight minute video and the whole time i'm like oh oh i can't even watch the video because it's so awesome my (laughs) wife my wife, she makes am- amazing food. And every so often, it's like a grand slam. And usually I'm like, babe, this is amazing. But it's a grand slam. I'm like, babe, what is this? And she's like, she knows. When, I, when the frown comes on, she knows. And she's like, oh, this is uh, stuffed shells. What do you think? I'm like, this, I like this. <laughs> I'm mad. It's satisfying. The result of that work is satisfying. This is one of the biblical concepts I think we see here from God. We're talking about purpose of work. It's good, and it glorifies God. It's satisfying. Here's the third thing. Look at verses 26 through 28. Read with me along here. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is where we see man start to work. You see, you saw here that God created humankind in his image. It's different than the rest of his creation. He creates humankind somehow, some way, in a special way that reflects him, that represents him. And throughout the centuries, theologians are like, yo, what's the image of God? What is it? Is it reason? Is it morality? Is it literally looks kind of like a God? Like, what is it? And one of the things that I think we see here plain as day is that 
we're co-creators. We're co-workers. We're co-cultivators. We get to develop like God. And that glorifies him when we do that. This is one of the things I think you see right away when it says dominion and subdue. And this, by the way, is a famous verse in the Bible. It's called the cultural mandate, where God creates humankind and then sends them into the world to create and to cultivate in his image, okay? The cultural mandate, super important. This is where man starts to work. And yo, it's literally one of the first purpose statements of humankind. It's like, man, in God's image, get to work, yo. It's gonna be sweet. And remember, nothing's broken yet. There's no sin, there's no rebellion, there's no tears, there's no pain. Nothing is broken, everything's perfect. Everything's still perfect. And I think that you should experience this a little bit in your work. We all know in the ways that we don't. But Lord willing, we do get to experience this a little bit. And I mean, how many of us, if we had the chance not to work ever, would take it? My hope is, is that you begin to see these texts tonight, you would reconsider that. Because literally a part of your created purpose is to work in a way that glorifies God. Literally a part of your created purpose. That's how important this is. Literally, we're in the first chapter of the Bible, guys. The first chapter. Hmm. I think if we start to internalize these truths, people will see it. People will notice it in the way you become to be a blessing in your work in the way that you, the attitude that you take to work. When you see, well, we've talked about, we've talked about that it's good. We've talked about it's satisfying. Here's the last one in God's purpose. Ready? Verse 29. This is what he says. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed, every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with its seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. Verse 29. How does this apply to work? Well, Remember, all the seeds, all the plants, all the well, not the animals yet, but all the plants that God made, they're now serving humankind. God's work, God's creation, is now serving humankind. His work serves. His work blesses us. His work is a way that he shows us he loves us. So too with you. So too should your work serve. That's like a big part of what work should do. This is a massive part of what work should do. It should, it should serve. For example, this is Monday. This is this week, Monday. Um, Joni and I, the, the, she, she's a student here, the beloved Abby Veith. Abby, can I ask you to raise your hand? <laughs> Abby lived in our basement from summer uh, moving into fall for around a couple months or so. So we asked her to babysit. Our kiddos know Abby. They love Abby, okay? Abby's babysitting. I come, Joni and I come home from the thing we're coming home from. And, you know, the, the job description for babysitting is literally like, give them food, give them sleep, keep them alive, okay? It's, like, not crazy. <laughs> Come home. Usually every night, I spend 40 minutes doing dishes and cleaning the kitchen. Come home. It's done. Why? Because Abby did it. I walked in, and I looked at the dishes, and I was like, actually, I was like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. It was, a, it was a less, uh, it was like a happy face. <laughs> and it was, I, I mean, immediately. And Joni looks at me, she goes, did you do the dishes? I was like, no. And she was like, Abby. I was like, yeah, Abby. <laughs> and it served us. 
And she didn't have to do that. You know, even if we just paid her and she watched the kiddos and it was great, that would have served us too. But she kind of went beyond in her purpose, in her ontological meaning, to use a fancy word for work, and went further in serving. Okay? And this goes farther than this, though. You ready for this? I want you to think about every good thing you experienced in the past week, month, or even year. Think about every good thing that you experienced. Because I bet you got to experience it because somebody was working. Had a burrito yesterday. My favorite burrito place in town, Maggie's in front of Jack's. It's six fifty for a massive burrito, and it's one of the best burritos in town. If Maggie closed up shop and quit, it would affect me emotionally. <laughs> Why? Because I'm blessed by her work. I'm served by her work. Me and the middle school director, Fisher Fitz Randolph, some of you guys who know him, the other night he came over. We bought almost a pound of prosciutto. Th that's like this thick of slices of prosciutto and we split it and ate it. Why did we get to do that? Somebody was working. <laughs> Somebody worked. You know how long it takes to make prosciutto? It's like a year. Ever had technology that works? You ever been like you, somewhere you need Wi-Fi, and it's like, oh, Wi-Fi, what's the code? I don't know. And some guy's like, hey, Apple, I got you. Psh, share. And it's like, oh. That, <laughs> dude, if anyone deserves a Nobel Prize, it's that guy. Okay. <laughs> The guy who share, figured out how to share Wi-Fi passwords when technology works. You ever walked into a clean room? I was in here today. And the reason the room is clean is because somebody was in here before you. Why? Somebody was working. Work serves people. Work blesses people. Work is a way for you to love people. And I, I know some of y'all, though, some of y'all, oh, I went on a hike the other day, though. Ain't nobody worked on that. Ah. Somebody did, though. His name is the King of Kings. <laughs> that sunset you saw, that fall you saw painted across the city, somebody was working. Somebody worked on that. And don't think they didn't. That person you love, maybe that significant other, that friend, that, that parent, that sib, that person that you love, they're a part of creation. They have the fingerprints of God on them. Somebody worked on them too. Somebody made them and thought them up. So much of the goodness and richness of life comes from work, whether it's from God or from you or you towards each other. This, we're talking about the purpose of work in the Bible. Genesis 1, 20 through, I think it was through 29. That it's inherently good and it glorifies God, that it's satisfying and that it's serving it serves and loves people when you work, okay? So, so important here. My question to you is this. Do you believe that? And, and you might say, I don't, I'm not sure what I believe about work. Well, think about the attitude you take to work. Think about the attitude you take to school. Whether it's paid work, school work, chores at home. What's the attitude that you take that? Because that's going to tell, tell y'all what you believe. That's where you're going to see it. My question to you is this. Do you believe God's word that this is his intent? And look, it's hard to change. Like, it's hard to get ourselves out of a rut as far as taking a, a, a bad and complaining attitude to work or anything that we have to do. But yo, it starts with truth. It starts with seeing the truth and slowly beginning to believe it. And I know y'all can think of times when somebody's worked on your behalf and it's blessed you, and not just the work, but the way they did it. 
the way they did it was awesome. Like people in service jobs and coffee shops and restaurants. When the server, when the barista is awesome, everything is more awesome. When the attitude can be seen, my question to you is, what's yours? I want you to think about your week. See where the word of God might come and shine some light there. We're talking about God's purpose for work, okay? Now we're talking about his plan. I want you to jump to Genesis 2, the next chapter, verse 15. Genesis 2, 15 says this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Read it again. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. I love it because before that, he's talking about humankind. It's like a general noun. Now he, he puts a definite article, you grammar nerds, in front of the name. The man. It's a dude. Here he is. He's in the garden. And he's there to work it and to keep it. Now, here's the first thing that I want to show you in, 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 in verse 15 here. Remember, nothing's broken yet. And there's work. God working, and now the man's working. Nothing's broken yet. It's perfect, and yet he's working. Work is good. But here's the other thing that I love about this. Part of perfection for God, when he creates the world and it's perfect, part of what that means is it's full of opportunity. It's full of ways to be developed, full of ways to organize and to, and to create and to shape and to form. That was God's idea of a perfect world. There was things to be done. How awesome is that? And we still get to live in that a little bit today, I think. But you see that here when he tells Adam to work and to keep. Now, another way to translate this, work and keep, serve, like we talked about, and guard. Work and keep, serve and guard. And so here's what you see with that second word there, keep, guard. Look, this is, this is where an important balance comes in. Cultivate, God cal calls us to cultivate the world, but also to care for it. Care, or cultivate, but also care. Work, but also keep. Serve, but also protect. There's a balance there. We get to use creation. We get to benefit from creation, but we don't get to abuse it. Why? Well, it should be obvious if we remember from the first chapter, because it's good. God doesn't want us to abuse what he made. Why would he want us to do that? And so as Christians, when we see in the Bible, when we see work, we see a balance of cultivate and care. And you can, I mean, these guys are gardeners, okay? But you can apply that to anything. Shoot, you're a leader of people, when you're talking about the people that you lead, this is a part of your work, these people, getting them to go in the right direction, cultivate, but also caring for them. Their creation. Your coworkers cultivate, but also care for them. This is one of the beautiful balances of the Bible. Of course, God loves the, the plants and the animals, the environment, all the things he made, but he's also created opportunity. And look, we don't get to experience that perfect balance this side of life. We don't. But one day we will. One day we will, and until then, it glorifies God for us, to for us to strive for that balance between cultivate and care. Shoot, I wonder, like, if our two major political parties could learn from that balance. Both. Because what you see here, what you see here is not like a, not like a radical environmentalism where it's like, don't ever touch this tree or any tree for that matter. Nor do you see, just blow it all up, bro. Get rich or die trying. Like, you don't see either of those. You don't see either of those here. You see the balance. Man and woman's call to cultivate and to care for, okay? 
And here's the last thing from this text. Um, I think the sum of all this that we're talking about, we're talking about the purpose of God, God's purpose for work, God's plan for work. I think one of the awesome things about this is that it shows that all work has dignity. All work has dignity before God, no matter what you're doing. People in church or spiritual jobs, there's no better work in and of itself than anything else. CEOs versus people with less authority. Let me tell you a story. So I, um, that same job that I had, that first job out of college, I had some guys on my team. I had this one guy who was in his early 50s. Great dude. He had like a master's degree in music. Really kind dude. Had a great balance in his life. Made decent money. And one day he comes into my office and he's, he's like noticeably really sad. And I was like, Matt, what's up, dude? And he tells me this story. And, you know, his job was tough. His job was literally wake up at 5 a.m., fill stores. He worked for PepsiCo. Fill stores with snacks. Make it look nice. Fill it up. Take care of the business. Take care of the, take care of the customer and leave. He did that from 5 to maybe 3 every day. One day he's uh, on the floor at a 7-Eleven filling up the rack. And this mom comes in. And her high schooler comes in after and the mom, as she's checking out, looks at him and says to her son, see that right there? This is why you go to college. Says that to her son. But he hears it. She wasn't trying to like punk him, but he still hears it. So you don't have to have a job like that. That's what she says. And here he is sitting in my office, 52, couple kids, very, very blue-collar type of work, and he looks at me and he's like, am I, should I do something else? But you know what? You know what Genesis teaches. You know what God's perfect truth and wisdom reveals in Genesis 1 and 2. You see that all work has dignity. Because all work is cultivation of God's creation. All work, assuming we're not talking about the evil, pure, destructive stuff, of which that's out there, and I'm sure you can think of that in your mind. Besides that, all work serves. All work cares for people. All work done unto God glorifies him in and of itself. So I could sit there and encourage him and be like, nah, she's wrong. She's wrong. And let me tell you now why she's wrong. You think about the value system implicit in those types of, in, that, in those comments that she made. What's work about for her? Prestige. Maybe money. That's what work's about for her. You're going more towards that, uh, maybe towards that, that one side of the spectrum where work is everything. Work brings you so much of your value in life. But not according to the Bible. In the Bible, all work done unto God has dignity. From the person with the least influence and power to the person with the most influence and power. All work done righteously before God is cultivation, creation. So many different examples of this, from music to a CEO who makes a company run well, to a person who's cleaning a space, to a person that's cooking, to a person that's a mom, to a person that's a baker, to a person that's a developer, to a person that's an architect, to an ecologist, to a vet person. I know there's vet people at see it here, yo. All work before God has dignity. All work before God has dignity. And so, and look, th here's what's awesome about this. There's actually a lot of freedom here. 
The Bible's not like, yo, 40 hours or you're a sinner. Not like, yo, 60 hours or you're a sinner. There's a lot of flexibility here within the guidelines we talked about. And in fact, your seasons are going to vary. I've got kids now. I had to dial back my work capacity. And I actually sinned against my family by not doing that. It took me like a year to figure it out. Oh, crap, my kids require a lot of my time. I can't do things the way that I used to do them anymore. That first job that I had at PepsiCo was 65 hours a week. It was bare. I was like, I remember I got the job. I was like, I didn't know people did this. <laughs> like, what? I, this is crazy. And it, you know, kicked my butt. And it was, in a lot of ways, blessed me because I, I didn't work very hard before that. Um, but there's a lot of freedom here. There's a lot of flexibility in God's word about this. And so we don't need to judge other people in their situations. And so my question to you is this. How, how do you think about other people's jobs? Is it ever a demeaning down-looking judgmentalism that is not fit for God's theology of work. Do you question why they are where they are? Well, guess what? Maybe their values are different than yours. Maybe they want to do 40 or 35 hours on the dot because they got other stuff that's really important to them and they can provide at a minimum with that. Or maybe you got someone who's, who's at a nonprofit throwing 65 hours at it. Maybe they're single. Maybe they're doing great work that's serving the oppressed, caring for the poor. And, and they see their work making a massive impact. We don't need to judge each other. But we should be considerate about some of the guidelines God has put down here. It's not no work. You're created for work to some degree. And it's not everything. And we don't need to judge one another. And my question to you is, do you ever find yourself doing that? Teachers? Coworkers? Do you ever find yourself doing that in a way that's not in line with what you see here? I want to encourage you to let the truth of this, that all work has dignity, shape the way you see people's jobs. Okay? Last, last text, Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Genesis 2, 1 through 3 says this. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. You see this echo of satisfaction again, like God's done, and he steps back, and he's like, yeah, this is awesome. You see that echo of satisfaction, but you want to know what else you see? Him resting. Now look, God doesn't get tired the way we get tired. The omnipotent, almighty, all-consuming fire does not get tired the way our man or a woman gets tired. In fact, the other way you could translate this is to cease. God ceased. He stopped. He rested. And you know, in a lot of ways, in the narrative, in the literary structure, this is kind of a zenith of the creation narrative. Kind of builds to this and repeats it. God rested. He finished, which is why later in Israel, he commands him, and now y'all gonna rest on the seventh day because I did. He tells them that the same thing, and you know what? That blesses them, and he, he actually writes into the law all these other things. You gotta have these parties and these other weeks of rest and these other feasts because I'm not just a God of work. I'm also a God of rest. We talked about God's purpose for work. We talked about God's plan for work, and now we're talking about God's place for work, and what's his place for work? That it's not everything. It's not everything. 
It's not the meaning of life. It's not the main reason even that you were created. The main reason, by the way, you were created is to glorify God. And yeah, you can do that in your work, and you should. And it's a big part of life, and you will experience satisfaction in that. But in the same way that God rested, so too with us. In the same way that God rests, so too with us. It's part of how you're designed is to rest and the enjoyment that you get out of that, the ceasing that happens in the middle of that. It's part of your created purpose. So awesome that work is not everything. It has its place. Like, this is God's intent for this stuff. This is his glorious design, okay? And so my question to you is, do you rest rhythmically? We've all got pressures. We've all got stuff going on. Do you rest in the way that God has intended for you to rest? The way he's designed for you to rest? Super important. Such a blessing available to you when you do that rhythmically, cyclically, regularly. Such a blessing from God. Okay? There's a place for work, and it's not everything. But I would be remiss to show you as we close here I would be remiss not to talk about what this all points to. What have we talked about? We talked about the purpose for work, God's purpose, which is serving and loving people, that it's inherently good, that it's satisfying. We talked about his plan. You have to have this balance between cultivation and care, okay? You have to have this, b- this balance between those things. What else was his plan? That all work has dignity before God and his place, that it's not everything. It's a part of life, but it's not everything. And I would be remiss if I didn't show you what this points to, what this Genesis creation narrative points to. It points to the one who came to earth millennia later with work to do, with a purpose in his heart, with a plan in mind. And what was his purpose? His purpose was to reconcile the sinful people of God back home. His purpose was to forgive sins. His purpose was to show people just how radically accepting the love of God truly is. I'm talking about Jesus. I'm talking about the Lord of Lords. Acts calls him the author of life. The New Testament says that he was there in creation. He was the creator. And you know what else he is? He's the perfect rest. Why? Well, one day, Jesus will come back and literally give us physical rest. In Revelation 21, it says, there will be no pain. All sin is gone. The curse reversed. The toil and work gone. So he will literally give you physical rest one day. But now, he sure as heck gives you spiritual rest. Because you don't have to work for your salvation because of what he did. Because he loves you so much. He came. Somebody had to earn salvation. It just wasn't us if we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to work on our behalf. He came to work to serve you, to love you, to fix that separation that sin had put between us and God. This is the capital T, capital W, the worker. He is the rest. And he is the meaning of life, the Lord Jesus. This is the gospel. The gospel is just a word that means good news. And the Bible's theology of work points to him.
Lord, ah, thank you so much for the way that you created work. Lord, it's hard for us to see this sometimes. It's painful in the middle of class, in the middle of jobs sometimes, when we experience the difficulty that our sin has brought into our work life. But Lord, thank you that you made it good. Thank you that you are allowing us even now to taste some satisfaction from it. Allowing us even now to serve others, to provide for ourselves. Thank you for using work to do that. Thank you for the dignity that all jobs have before you, God. All jobs righteous before you. And Lord Jesus, thank you for doing the ultimate work. Thank you for doing the ultimate work. We love you. We don't take you for granted. Not one, one bit. In Jesus' name, amen.